Ladies, if you suffer from menopause or perimenopause and you want to feel your best down there, if you feel less than confident, if you struggle with dryness or elasticity, if you want to improve your sex life, treat yourself to Glow Below skincare for down there. Glow Below's Vaginal Rejuvenation Serum with low-dose estrogen and DHEA will leave you feeling brand new. Glow Below contains moisturizing, rejuvenating, anti-aging ingredients, as well as low-dose hormones for your most intimate area so you can feel your best, live your best life, and maintain a healthy, happy sex life. Glow Below, created by naturopathic physician Dr. Michelle Sands, helps restore vaginal health and elasticity. Its unique blend of ingredients promotes collagen production and supports healthy tissue growth down there, resulting in increased lubrication, improved sensation during intercourse, decreased urinary tract infections, and increased comfort overall. And this isn't just about treating symptoms. It's about restoring health and wellness from the inside out, no matter what stage in life you're at. Glow Below contains pH-balanced organic ingredients for immediate relief and long-term benefits to turn back the aging process. It's all natural and it's affordable. Head to glownaturalwellness.com forward slash glow below to learn more. The link is in the description. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be giving my commentary on Sister Wives, Season 4, Episode 7, Brown Boys Do Vegas. In this episode, Cody's brothers visit along with Curtis's wife, Erica, and Curtis, may he rest in peace. I'm sure you guys know Curtis is Cody's younger brother who passed away tragically. Knowing that this episode made me sad because from what we see on the show, Curtis has a great personality. He has a zest for life and he seems like a very solid, humble, decent, good man. And his wife seems like a very sweet lady. I noticed that Cody's brothers seem fun. They seem secure. They seem stable. They don't seem controlling or bitter or moody or resentful at all. They seem like the opposite of Cody. And they also embrace their baldness. And they look way better than Cody looks with his strands just hanging on for dear life swaying in the breeze. There is a scene this episode when Cody is practicing at the shooting range where TLC does him a little dirty and there is a close-up of the side of Cody's head, his temple, and it's really not a good look. I don't understand why Cody doesn't just embrace his jeans the way his brothers do and shave it off like his brothers just embrace their jeans. I think Cody's brothers look a lot better than Cody, but they also seem to have more confidence. They don't have the same used car salesman vibe we get from Cody. Cody does man stuff, grrr, with his brothers in Vegas. He goes to a bar with his brothers. They go to the shooting range to play with Cody's assault rifle he got for Christmas. Now, before we dig into this episode, a while back, I watched a small portion of an interview Peyton did, and it regarded some comments Robin made to Cody after Curtis passed away, and I thought it might be relevant to today's commentary. Peyton recounts that a little bit after Cody's brother Curtis passed, 
Cody stopped being safe. Cody stopped feeling safe. He changed after the death of his brother. Peyton says this was around the time he was between the ages of 12 and 15. He was maybe about 13 around the time of Vegas, a little bit after Curtis passed when they were in the separate rental homes in Vegas before the cul-de-sac. Peyton recounts that Curtis's death changed Cody and Peyton spilled some interesting tea about Robin if it's true. Apparently, according to Peyton, Robin kept saying something negative about Curtis after he passed to Cody. And Peyton's boss at the time was a close family friend and a close friend of Cody's. And he really despised Robin. Robin said some things that were unkind about Curtis to Cody after his death. They were negative. And Cody told his friend, Peyton's boss, about it, friend to friend. Now, I can't believe anyone would be so disrespectful as to speak ill of the dead, especially when we consider how close Cody and Curtis were. They were siblings. Cody was grieving, I'm sure. And probably, instead of Robin supporting him through his grief, Robin apparently had negative things to say about this man, Curtis. This man Cody loved, his family, his brother. It just really reflects Robin's true character mask off. Curtis's wife seems like an incredibly sweet lady. And of course, as we know, Maddie married Caleb, the brother of Curtis's wife, Erica. And Erica and Curtis seemed very much in love and in sync and in tune. You could tell they were each other's best friend from what we saw on the show this episode. But whatever Robin said that Cody repeated to this family friend who was also Peyton's boss, it royally pissed the guy off when Cody told him. This family friend, Peyton's boss, told Peyton about what Robin was saying to Cody that Cody relayed to him. And the boss said, since that day, Robin was not liked. This guy doesn't like Robin, this close family friend, this close friend of Cody's, Peyton's boss, doesn't like Robin. And whatever Robin said was so bad that when his boss told Peyton Robin's words, it opened Peyton's eyes to Robin as well. Peyton recounts that Robin said negative things about Curtis to Cody right after he died. And at that time, Peyton felt Cody was no longer safe. Now, of course, we don't know what Robin said, but it had to be bad. For someone you love, your husband to grieve, only for you as a wife to talk shit and speak ill of this person who passed, his brother, that really shows Robin's true character, if this is true. And whatever she said had to be bad to not only make the family friend dislike Robin from that day on, but also for Peyton when he was told this from the boss. It opened his eyes to Cody and he felt Cody was no longer safe. I can't even imagine how Cody felt. I almost feel bad for him about this. As a husband, when you grieve a loss, your wife should be there and support you no matter how hard it is. Whether the wife likes the person who passed or not, your husband loves this person, his brother he grew up with, 
his family, and to speak ill of this person is gross. It's not about how you feel about the person, whether you like them or not. It's about how your husband feels. His loss, supporting him through his grief. And I can't imagine saying negative things, disparaging Cody's brother, who he is grieving, who he is close to, who has just passed, would do anything to support or help a husband's grief. It would make things worse more difficult, more painful. It doesn't seem from this story Peyton recounts that Robin supported Cody. And she also spoke ill of this man, Curtis, Cody's brother, who passed, who Cody was grieving. Cody was grieving and it's beyond disrespectful. And all this story does, if there's any truth to it, is show who this woman is, this goblin mask off. And this story came straight from Peyton's mouth. And I really think it shows Robin's character. You know, if you're with someone who doesn't respect the people you love, your family, if you're tight with your family, even in death, it's just not the right person for you. If someone loves you and you are tight with your family and they don't like them, it's a problem and it shows this person you are with is not for you. It would be a huge red flag for me if even in grief, even after the death of a sibling, my partner, my person, my husband, my boyfriend, my fiance, whatever, was not there for me when my sibling passed if I was close with them. Even if I wasn't close with them and I was grieving, I would expect support. And if they said anything negative, it would be a huge red flag. Robin probably tried to make it about her as usual, and she was probably annoyed by Cody's grief and how it took away from the attention she received or Cody's mood or investment level towards her and her kids. It seems, in my opinion, that rather than supporting Cody, maybe Robin got annoyed that Cody's grief detracted from her attention for her and her kids from Cody. Curtis really seems like a great guy, a fun guy, a guy who had passion, who genuinely loved life. He was all in. And maybe Curtis saw right through Robin. And maybe that's why Robin didn't like him so much. It's crazy to me that Robin would take a time when her husband is grieving to speak ill about his brother and make this about her. She was probably hateful because Cody focused on his grief and healing instead of her and her kids. And rather than support him, she probably seemed to grow resentful and make this about her. That's the only conclusion I can come to. If this is true, she seems mean and selfish and cruel. And I guess her best customer treatment only goes so far. When I heard this story straight from Peyton's mouth, I actually felt bad for Cody for a moment. I can't imagine losing a sibling and having the person I love, my supposed soulmate, use the opportunity to defame them because they didn't like them or because they are pissed. They aren't getting as much attention from me during my grief. I drop them like a hot potato. It would be a huge red flag and I don't tolerate bullshit. And if Cody was telling his friend about this, it has to be bad, bad and hateful. And again, this is just all a true reflection of Robin's character mask 
off. For Cody's friend to be done with Robin and then for him to repeat it to Peyton and for Peyton to conclude that Cody was no longer safe, it seems to me that Robin was possibly trying to turn Cody against his own family, against anyone who saw through her bullshit. And it exposes Robin as a master manipulator. I wonder if maybe that's why Peyton felt Cody was no longer safe after this. I'm just guessing. But if Cody is uncomfortable with what Robin said and he's upset and he's not doing anything to put Robin in her place and set boundaries with her, Peyton probably realized the type of woman Robin is and that she has no boundaries and that ultimately she only looks out for herself. And maybe Peyton stopped trusting his dad because if Cody, his dad, will allow Robin to go that far, speaking ill of his brother who passed, maybe Robin would go after the kids, which we see happening in later seasons. Peyton probably expected his dad to speak up, to defend his brother, to stand his ground, and he probably did nothing, and he probably allowed Robin to just do what she does. And maybe that scared Peyton because he knew that it's game over. Robin is in charge, and Cody is no longer the man, the father he used to know, the man he thought he was. I'm just guessing as to why that incident made Peyton feel unsafe. Maybe he realizes his dad used to have passion and conviction and boundaries, and now Robin is his mouthpiece. Robin is the neck that turns the head. And if speaking ill of Curtis, Cody's brother, didn't stir Cody to action to set boundaries, maybe Peyton realized nothing ever would. And the man he knew isn't the same man, the same father, the same husband with Robin in the picture. I really found that to be very interesting. Okay, let's get into this episode, Sister Wife, Season 4, Episode 7, Brown Boys Do Vegas, after that little side note. The episode opens at Mary's house. Christine is over with Truly and the other wives and kids in anticipation of Cody's brothers and Erica, Curtis's wife, arriving. And Mary asks Kotex, if he's excited because his brothers are coming to visit. Cody is excited. He gets to see his brothers and they get to go on a fun motorcycle ride. They're going to do man stuff. Cody's brothers are visiting Curtis, Scott, and Michael. And of course, Curtis's wife, Erica. Cody, the alpha male, fishes out what appears to be his old Harley Davidson studded riding jacket. Scott and Curtis are coming in the morning and Cody's baby brother Michael is coming that night. So while the men are waiting for Michael, they're going to go on what Cody refers to as a motorcycle drive. Mary corrects Cody saying it's a ride, a motorcycle ride. Cody is the only person I have ever heard in my 40 years say we're going on a motorcycle drive. He and Robin leave a lot to be desired in the vocab department. They both share a penchant for misusing words. Robin has used adversary for adversity and kickback for pushback. And there's a slew of other words she uses incorrectly or in the wrong context. And I guess by this point, it's rubbed off on Cody too. For Cody, it's not a motorcycle ride like the rest of America says it. He's going on a motorcycle drive. 
Cody seems really excited. He's looking for his riding gloves in case Curtis wants to wear them. You can tell he really wants to please his brothers. Cody explains that he is very close to his brothers and he grew up with nine brothers and sisters and he was the fourth out of 10 siblings. There are five girls and five boys. Scott is the oldest and Michael is the youngest, according to Cody. Even Scott and Michael are very close, even though they're not close in age. Hearing the names Michael and Scott, I can only think of the show I absolutely love. I love The Office. I love it. I love the British version. I love the American version. And Cody has the same absence of self-awareness Michael does. Sometimes he reminds me of the character Michael Scott in that respect. Minus Michael's redeeming qualities, of course. Nell explains that the family was used to seeing Cody's brothers all of the time. And then they moved to Vegas and they haven't seen Cody's brothers at all this year. Scott and Curtis live in Wyoming and Michael, the youngest, lives in Utah. Curtis and Erica and Scott arrive. We learned that Curtis was the seventh child in the family and he is 11 years younger than Cody and it shows. Curtis jokes with Cody that he is such an old man and Cody asks why he would feel older than Curtis. Curtis lets Cody know at least he looks his age. Cody was hoping to fish for a compliment there about how well he has aged. But looking at Curtis, he definitely doesn't look old. And Scott and Curtis look better than Cody, and they definitely seem more comfortable in their skin. They seem more secure. They have embraced their jeans, and they embrace their hair situations. Curtis and Erica are seated on the confessional couch, and I have to say, Erica has the good hair. She is super pretty. She has great hair. And Curtis and Erica seem to really match each other's vibe. Even in this confessional scene, she and Curtis are holding hands. They seem very in sync. They seem very in tune, very much in love. And Curtis explains that Cody growing up was a hero to him. And Curtis remembers Cody always being fun and being goofy. Really, he doesn't remember Cody being resentful and bitter and power hungry and selfish and egotistical and narcissistic, perhaps. What happened to that guy who enjoyed life that Curtis is saying he remembers? Curtis says Cody introduced him to things he shouldn't get into, like cow tipping and bill burning. Wow, these guys were really pushing the envelope, living on the wild side. Cow tipping and bill burning? Wow, sounds like fun. Erica explains that that's just what they do in Wyoming. There's probably not a lot to do, to be fair. Cody explains that Scott is the oldest son, what he would call the quintessential leader of the family. Whoa. So when Cody said that, I found it so interesting. Cody really values power. If Cody is designating Scott the oldest son to be the leader of the family, that means Cody really respects Scott a ton. Scott is also a polygamist and his support was the most important to Cody when his family decided to go public. Scott has two wives and 16 kids. Scott feels that living the principle, living as a polygamist with a plural family, is the joy of his life. It's been a blessing. Notice the difference between Scott's attitudes and Cody's attitude. 
Scott says his family is a blessing. His family is the blessing. Cody says his family are the obstacles to his goals in life. I wonder now, as a polygamist man with a polygamist family, how happy Scott is with the way Cody portrayed polygamist families and polygamist husbands and fathers on the show with his behavior in later seasons. Cody was really trying to advocate for polygamy and show how functional and healthy it can be and how different his brand of polygamy was from the compounds and the cult stuff. But Cody has shown the toxicity of the lifestyle and there have been other polygamous men who really represented polygamy in a healthier, more functional way without picking favorite wives or neglecting kids or neglecting wives, without shunning accountability or responsibility for the suffering and emotional complications that come with the lifestyle for his wives and kids, without demanding a patriarchy or using emotional manipulation. Does Scott, as a polygamous man, support Cody's representation to the world of how a polygamist father and husband should behave? I wonder how much Cody's behavior and treatment of his wives and kids created chasms in his relationships with other polygamous families and within his extended family, even just in his community among his friends. I doubt most polygamous men want Cody to be their sole representation or their representation at all. That's why I was so happy to cover Brady Williams as a polygamous man who is aware of the complications of the lifestyle who does his best to be there for all of his kids and wives. And I think it's a shame TLC did not continue on with Brady Williams because he takes accountability, validates his wives and the complications and the emotions they go through. He seems to try his best to do things fairly and equally with all of his wives and kids from what we see on the show. He doesn't resent anyone. He doesn't treat anyone like a chore. And I really liked Brady's approach to the lifestyle, even though he left his faith. Cody really wants to have some fun with his brothers. They were talking motorcycles, and that's how Cody got his brothers to visit him. It also makes for a great filming opportunity. Cody says he has something fun planned. Cody doesn't seem that fun. He seems uptight and high-strung and moody and manic most of the time. I don't know if fun would be at the top of my list to describe this guy. It seems largely dependent on what mood Cody is in. Cody rented a motorcycle and he explains that Curtis is super into motorcycles. He's the biker type of guy. I wonder if Cody with the barely there long hair and the leather studded riding jacket wishes he was more like Curtis. It looks to me like Cody wants to relive the old days where he seemed like the cool, older teenage brother. Everyone gets their helmets and gloves and leather jackets on and Robin is watching them standing outside and she looks nervous. Curtis says, bring on the ladies, he's joking, and Robin gives Cody a look. She tells him to wait a minute and Curtis corrects himself. He was talking about the games. Bring on the games, not bring on the women. I'm sorry, but what lady on earth anyways would ever want Cody other than Robin, of course. She has nothing to worry about ever. But I guess if inmates and killers get love letters, maybe Kotex does too. Robin Tattles, she tells Erica, 
Curtis just said bring on the ladies. And she's joking, of course. She's not being serious. Everyone loves a clucking mother hen. I think Robin was out there observing Cody, giving him the stank eye, anxious about, God forbid, if something were to happen to Cody on that motorcycle ride. She is worried because she doesn't have that legal status yet or the financial security for herself and her kids yet. So nothing can happen to her best customer. No, 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 not yet. Not before the ink is dry on that marriage license and those adoption papers. He explains in confessional that Curtis is a monogamist and that it was a joke. Obviously, it was a joke. Erica teases that if Robin means another wife for Cody and Mary jokes, well, it's not another wife for Erica and Curtis. That's for sure. They aren't polygamists. And Curtis says one old lady is enough. When he was younger, he made the decision that a polygamous lifestyle was not for him. Cody thinks Curtis came to a point where he realized this isn't my calling. This isn't my faith. And when Curtis met Erica, she was of a different faith and it sealed the deal. Cody asked Curtis what about his faith he grew up with. And Curtis pointed out the things he didn't believe like plural marriage and the Book of Mormon. And Cody felt, okay, Curtis is worshiping as his conscience tells him to, and Cody wasn't going to argue with it. And Curtis believes that it saddens Cody that he hasn't chosen his lifestyle or his faith. And he knows it saddens Scott, but that doesn't tarnish the love that his brothers have for him. He says they were raised in a house filled with so much love that he doesn't think he could do anything to lose that. You see what kind of a guy Curtis is? He lived with his whole heart. I really liked Curtis a lot. Scott and Curtis seem like such salt of the earth, humble, unassuming men. They are stand-up guys. They seem very stable and very secure, very unlike Cody. Even emotionally, they are at a different level. They seem incredibly self-aware as well. Curtis seems like a very likable guy. May he rest in peace. And I can't imagine what hellish things Robin said about him. But my guess is Curtis was a very smart man who saw Robin's character. He probably saw the writing on the walls. Maybe he saw the favoritism and he probably saw through Robin. And maybe that's why Robin didn't like him. He goes to bars. He's not a polygamist. He rides a motorcycle. He's not of Cody's faith. He's very intelligent and he's very down to earth. And Robin probably understood this guy, wouldn't buy her best customer bullshit. And she probably knew he probably saw right through her. And so she maybe resented him. Maybe she disparaged him even after his death as Cody was grieving. I wonder if she blamed Curtis's faith or relationship with God or that he sinned or said something negative like that. I'm just guessing. I don't know what was said. I don't know Robin's deal. I don't know what she said, but whatever it was, Cody repeated this stuff to his friend, also Peyton's boss, and it was so bad that the guy could not tolerate Robin at all after that, and he disliked Robin very strongly after that, and he told Peyton about that, and Peyton felt Cody was no longer safe. Curtis seems like a great guy, so who knows how low Robin went. But just from this little we see of Curtis and the way he handles himself and the way he appears to treat his wife, I see nothing but good. And we can see Robin's behavior 
clearly season after season, and it indicates loudly and clearly her character. Curtis seems like he was a very chill, balanced, cool, humble guy. The opposite of Cody. Next, Scott, Curtis, and Cody are taking a motorcycle ride to the oldest bar in Vegas. It's a biker bar. Cody and his brothers are ditching the women. Mary feels the women will find some fun stuff to do. They don't need the men to have fun. And Robin sassily retorts that the women are ditching them. The women are ditching the men. And she's shaking her head and she's glaring at Cody jokingly to show just how edgy and fun she is with that best customer service. Christine explains that she and her sister wives are going to show Erica, Curtis's wife, an absolutely awesome Vegas time. No drinks, no gambling Vegas style, no, no. The women are headed to paint ceramics. It's Vegas brown style. They're going to go to paint pottery. Mary is cynical. She asks, why am I here? And she points out that she is not creative. I beg to differ. Listen, in a later season, Mary gets really into painting. She takes private lessons and she makes paintings for each of her sister wives. And she also makes the kids PJs around Christmas every year. So she is creative despite her protestations and arguments. In confessional, Janelle assures Mary she loves her, but she is just going to tease her a little bit. Christine is excited about her options. Mary complains in the store the whole time. She says this isn't her thing as she peruses the shelves of the store to find an object to paint acting like she is going to the doctors for a colonoscopy, having to paint something. When later, she discovers in a later season, she loves painting. Janelle explains that Mary is so funny to go to places like this with, like this place. Mary sighs deeply and she complains she isn't crafty when she obviously is. She really did the paintings for her sister wives and they were cute. She does the PJs for the kids in the family every Christmas. She is crafty. She is creative despite her protestations. Mary insists she isn't crafty and she says it takes her a long time and this isn't the place for her to come to. Janelle explains by the time she is almost done with her first two coats of paint, Mary finally sits down to paint. Mary questions if she chose a dumb color. She asks her sister wives and Erica, well, what if I don't like it? As the saying goes, though, dumb questions get dumb answers. So to Mary's, what if I don't like it, guys? Christine responds, then you just won't like it. It feels like Mary really just wants attention in this moment. Later seasons, we see how creative Mary is with all the sewing, with all the painting she does, and it's a great outlet for stress. Creativity is an amazing outlet to relieve stress, to induce positive energy. I use creativity daily as an awesome way to release stress, to get in a positive vibration. Any type of creativity daily is an awesome way to release stress and turn it into something positive. Creativity is just so healing. Erica tells her sister-in-laws that she loves them and she feels blessed because when you marry somebody, you marry their family and they come from different backgrounds, but she says everybody respects each other. 
And Janelle agrees. She says, there is no, let me tell you what is right. There is no judgment in their family. Erica says, wherever the Browns are, there is a party. Janelle explains that Erica and Curtis are non-denominational Christians and there is no practicing polygamy in their faith. Cody remembers when Erica first met his family and he says it was probably a surreal experience for her meeting all of these plagues. It was probably scary. Erica says she was concerned at first. She didn't know if they were going to be drinking a special Kool-Aid or what was going to be going on when she was going to meet the family initially. Erica says everyone was wonderful. They were super inviting. They were friendly. No Kool-Aid was served. The brothers get to the oldest bar in Vegas. As Cody is entering the bar, he announces he's totally out of his element there at the bar. He says the bar is cool, even though we have seen Cody drink before in an earlier season at dinner with Christine. And we also see him in a more recent photo with Robin when they both had what appeared to be champagne. And there are other times, too where Cody appears to be drinking or the wives appear to be drinking. Here, Cody says he doesn't drink. He gets ice water along with Scott. And Cody explains that Curtis is totally in his element at this bar. And Scott feels uncomfortable there. Cody explains that Curtis and Erica drink a little bit. They're Christians. It's allowed. And Cody explains that they don't consume alcoholic beverages in their faith. Cody says they shouldn't even be in a place where they consume alcohol. But again, Cody had alcohol at dinner with Christine in an earlier season. And we also see there's a photo of Cody and Robin with champagne out and about. And there are other photos as well. So they do drink occasionally. Here, Cody is saying, of course, There is no drinking allowed in their faith. He feels uncomfortable. He shouldn't even be in the bar. Scott feels uncomfortable there. Cody says he is comfortable enough being there. Scott really isn't comfortable. Cody explains how Scott is the oldest and he has to toe the line. He abides by every. Here, Cody is at a loss for words. He says, Scott abides by every, and he pauses. He can't find the word. The word skips his mind. And again, Mary reminds him, rule. And Cody jokes, he doesn't even know the word, since he spent his whole life breaking the rules. Yeah, Cody's edgy. Kotex, a rule breaker. He announces he doesn't drink. It's forbidden in his faith. He would never blatantly drink. He wouldn't drink. He shouldn't even be in a bar. But we have seen this man drink on camera with Christine and he had champagne along with Robin. He's edgy. He's a rule breaker. But I guess Cody only breaks the rules when he thinks nobody is looking and he won't get caught. And he only picks certain rules of his faith to follow. Like he doesn't need to treat all of his wives equally with time or equally with money. And not every wife gets the same privileges. Like, for example, Janelle wasn't allowed the same privilege of using the joint family account to secure a home or pay off the land. Robin was allowed to use it to secure a home. Christine was allowed to use the joint family account to secure a home. But Janelle wasn't allowed that privilege. And according to the religion, every wife gets the same. Things are supposed to be 
fair and equal with money, with treatment, with favor, with attention, with time, with everything. With Cody, not every wife gets the same. Not every wife gets to use a joint family account when they need a home or to pay off the land to build. Not every wife gets equal time and investment. He'll openly break those rules of his faith. He'll pick a favorite wife and he'll emotionally manipulate the rest of his wives until his wives leave him, referring to his wives and kids, his family, what should be the blessing, what Scott, his brother, refers to as his blessing. Cody refers to his blessings as the obstacles to his goals in life. Cody here is announcing no drinking allowed. He's not drinking. He's having ice water. He's kind of uncomfortable, but he's drinking sometimes, other times not. That's good with the faith. And treating the wives the way he does, that's good with the faith too, I guess. This guy seems like a hypocrite with his religion, whether it's the treatment of his wives or his drinking, and he seems like a hypocrite with everything else in life too. When is Cody for real? When is Cody authentic? the words align with the actions for Cody. Cody asks Curtis what's going on in his life and Curtis is just working. He works in the oil fields. He's working a lot and Curtis asks Cody what's going on with him. He asks his brother Cody aren't you supposed to be building a house and Scott looks concerned for Cody as does Curtis. Cody tells his brothers about the cul-de-sac. He explains that they qualified for the four lots right next to each other, but their down payment is 40%, doubling what their rent is in the payments. So the Browns are going to speak with Mona, their real estate agent, to find out their options. But Cody acknowledges Tanya, the loan officer, did an amazing job, but it's just too pricey for the Browns and one of the houses sold. So... The Browns are going to meet with Mona in a few days to find out if it's possible for them to actually find four homes next door to each other. They're going to check their options. Curtis stresses the importance of Cody finding homes right next door to each other for his wives. And Cody agrees his family is too far apart in these separate rentals. And Scott tells Cody something important in his polygamous family is that they are one family, not two families. And it's difficult to be spread out. Scott has two wives. He has two homes right next door to each other. And Scott really understands Cody's need to get his families closer. Cody jokes with his brothers that maybe he should talk to his dad about mortgaging the ranch to help him out. You mean kind of like how Tony when he was McKelty's fiance, asked Cody to mortgage the house to pay for the wedding. A joke kind of like that, maybe. The brothers laugh it off and Curtis explains that when things get tough and Cody needs to clear his head, he just wants to hang out with the guys and have man time. This explains that there are lots of women in Cody's life and married life is wonderful, but he would not do it with four different women. He says he is just a farm kid from Wyoming and he needs a simple relationship. He couldn't handle that. Curtis says Cody is a complicated guy. He needs a complicated life. It's now nighttime and Michael, the baby of the family, arrives and he is 19 years younger than Cody. Christine calls Michael this darling little boy 
who is almost like a son because he is just so cute. He is cute. Michael is also in Scott and Cody's Faith, but he is young and so he's still a monogamist, but he intends to take more wives later on. Michael suggests that the guys go out and he jokes that he needs a second wife. They got to go out because he needs a second wife. And the family finds it hilarious. I don't think the way his first wife will feel when he takes on a second wife will be that it's hilarious for her, though. I don't think it's going to be fun for her. They're all laughing at this joke, but the reality is this is going to involve so much pain and suffering for Michael's first wife when he takes on a second wife, if he does. Robin points out that everybody in their culture, they all joke regularly about taking on more wives. He says the jokes are usually stupid stuff like go get yourselves a wife. He says it's not the type of thing you go on a hunt for when you're finding a wife. And Cody clarifies this. You don't go on a hunt for a wife. Robin explains it's a very serendipitous thing. They don't wife hunt. Robin explains either Michael's wife, he or another girl will get some sort of like a little buzz, they'll get a vibe, and then that will kind of start the process. I wonder if that little buzz will feel like a thunderbolt, like Janelle and Christine and Robin and Mary all felt when they saw Cody. Is that the buzz? Buzz that either Michael's wife or Michael or the other girl will feel will kind of start the process. Cody points out that Michael's wife will have to get to know this woman and she'll have to approve of her and she will also have to believe that this woman would be a perfect fit for their family. Cody points out that tomorrow is a big day. He got a rifle for Christmas. How can we forget the happiest Cody has ever been on the show ever in all these seasons when he got that assault weapon. Cody is going to take his brothers to the shooting range. They can run out machine guns. Michael thinks Vegas is awesome, and Cody gets to play with his assault rifle, and he is stoked. Cody and his brothers go out on the town for guys night. First, they head to the range. Mary points out how rare it is for Cody to ever get a guys night. Christine says, when Cody gets the opportunity to go for a guys night, all the wives will agree that Cody needs guys nights. So whenever an opportunity presents itself, the wives are united and they always encourage Cody, go, please go, please go. Cody and the boys walk into the shooting range and Cody is grinning ear to ear, ready for the testosterone-fueled man stuff. Grr! He announces he's like a kid in the candy store upon walking in. He sets his rifle on the counter and he announces to the clerks at the counter, we want to shoot at your range and we brought a weapon and he's very animated. Cody is thrilled to try out his new weapon and he's never shot it before. This is his first time. He's exhilarated. They flash back to the happiest moment of Cody's life when he gets the assault rifle on Christmas and Cody is thanking the moms as they point out that he has never been this happy on Christmas. Cody and his brothers shoot and what's funny is Cody hits the target he hits the paper but he completely misses the person on the target he just shoots the white space completely and they show a close-up briefly and you can clearly see 
Cody shoots the white of the paper. He doesn't even shoot the zombie that's on the target. In Confessional, Cody recounts his baby's day out and the thrill. He recounts his experience with the shooting practice. And he says, you're sitting there and you're letting this gun rip and you're smelling all the gunpowder. And he has this crazy maniacal grin on his face. And it sounds like he is really trying too hard to want to sound like he is super into this grrr, man stuff, alpha male. I think Janelle picks up on this. She picks up on Cody's performance and how he's trying to push it like he's a real man. And she is all smiles on the couch next to him. And she just says, wow, it's funny how crazy you are about it. She mocks him saying, smell the perfume of the bullet. And she's being very sarcastic. And Cody explains that when he's shooting, he is in the surreal world, almost like he has tunnel vision. Cody explains, wow, that's fun, as they're showing him shooting. And he screams in ecstasy, yee-hee, while he's shooting. He is like a fucking psycho. He is way too excited about shooting at this range. It's disturbing how excited Cody gets. He's like overly excited, almost manic. And when he gets done shooting and screaming in joy like a nut, he tells his brothers that he just saved a thousand bucks on emotional therapy with his shrink. That's a scary thought. Cody says it's awesome and Michael and Curtis are just laughing at Cody. Over at Janelle's, the wives and kids and Erica, Curtis's wife, are chilling and Janelle explains that they are going to be making sushi. Erica has never tried sushi, so she is willing to try it at least once. Sushi is amazing. I love it. Don't miss out. Robin explains that Erica is a girl's girl and she has fun with the girls. And Robin says, Erica is your bestie type of friend and she is up for anything. Janelle explains to Erica that sushi is a texture thing for most people. And Erica tries the sushi. She says it's really good, but her face says otherwise. Sushi isn't for everyone. I personally could have it all day long, every day. I fucking love sushi. Christine points out that she thinks that Erica would make a great sister wife. And Mary points out, not for us. And Robin says, Erica is already married. Mary points out that that would be really weird. Would it be weird? Of course it would. But let's not forget how Janelle was married to Mary's brother. They kept it all in the family. And then she married Cody, Mary's husband, and Janelle's mom married Cody's dad. So I love how that would be weird, and it would be weird. But Janelle's connections aren't weird. After the shooting range, the brothers headed to a restaurant in the casino. And the waiter asks Michael if he wants tomato basil vinaigrette. And Michael's a simple guy. He asks for ranch. And Cody takes this opportunity to tease Michael on camera. He tells Michael, Michael had an opportunity to get something really sophisticated and then he passed it up for ranch. I know Cody's just teasing, but I think Cody wants to seem like he's more educated or more sophisticated or like he has a higher status when that's really not the case. Curtis wants to know how everything is at home for Michael and he wants to know when this guy who is in his early 20s is going to take a second wife. He points out they really found something they can really get Michael on now. They can really tease him on this. He jokes that Michael only has one wife, so they need to push him. 
and get on him about taking a second wife pronto. Mary jokes that Michael is 24, it's time, they are losing daylight. And Cody says that's his dad's line, that they are losing daylight. He uses that all the time, apparently. I wonder how much Cody's father pushed the boys to take on wives and how much that influenced some of their choice to have plural marriages for the sons that did choose to pursue this faith and to pursue polygamy. Michael says he'll take on a second wife when God takes a two by four and smacks him over the head with it. And Curtis adds, with a wife on the end of it. Cody says it's not something you can put a time schedule on or plan on with taking wives. Cody says there have been men who have married their first and second wife on the same day. And there are men who have had 25 to 30 years between the first and second wives. Michael points out they aren't on the hunt for a wife. They're just open to it. And Cody points out that nobody ought to be on a hunt if they're looking to take on wives. Cody says, you don't just make this happen. It just has to happen. Curtis and Erica have a confessional scene and they seem very in tune and very in love with each other. It's sweet. And Curtis asks Erica if she ever worries about him taking up the polygamous gauntlet and running with it. And Erica says no, she doesn't, because Curtis has always said that if she decided she wanted to live polygamy, then he would not be able to live it and they would have to separate. Curtis reiterates they would be done if Erica wanted to live polygamy. Erica says Curtis is very adamant about not living polygamy. Curtis says he doesn't believe it, he doesn't want it, and he knows he could not live it. Cody is very happy his brothers came to visit. He doesn't think that he and his brothers have done something together in years. So it's a wonderful experience. And I am so glad Cody got to have this experience with Curtis and his brothers and this amazing memory to hang onto and look back on. Time is so precious. Life is so precious. And the time you get with the people you love, the happy moments, the memories, That's what life's about. It's now Sunday service for the Browns over at Mary's house with Cody's wives and kids and his brothers are there along with Erica as well. Cody does his sermon. He mentions charity and he says, if you have charity, we are treating others the way God expects us to treat one another. Cody reads, he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Steen points out that there is no polygamous religious community in Vegas, so it's very important that they have church service in their individual homes every Sunday. Scott quotes a verse about judgment. Janelle is very glad when they have new people to speak on Sundays because it gets super boring listening to themselves talk week after week. Cody feels that the sermon that made the most impact that Sunday was Curtis's sermon. Curtis speaks and he says, This man that eats meat should not try to persuade his brother, who doesn't like eating meat on the Sabbath, to eat meat on the Sabbath. He says, Do not destroy him with your idea of meat. Let no man put a stumbling block in his brother's path. 
He points out, we all serve one God that is everyone's common ground. Mary thinks Curtis was acknowledging that he is okay with the fact that he chose a different religion than his other brothers and that his brothers chose something different than he did. Cody explains that Curtis talking about not eating meat on the Sabbath is a dogma, but one man believes it, the other man doesn't, and it becomes a stumbling block. Cody points out, so much of the Apostle Paul's work is about hypocrisy and judging others instead of letting them live. Cody says he has told his children for a long time that they get to choose their faith, but it will break his heart when they don't pick his faith. He already knows it, and Janelle feels the same way. Janelle says Logan is getting close to his high school graduation and leaving home, and she lays awake at night worrying that she hasn't communicated to him the things that are most important to her about her religion and about her faith. Janelle explains that she has such a strong testimony of what she is doing, so it would be very heartbreaking for her to see her kids not participate in something that has brought her a lot of joy. Next, Cody and his wives are meeting Mona, their real estate agent, at Christine's house. Cody hopes that Mona has some new information for them regarding four homes together somewhere because not only do they live in Vegas without their religious community very far apart from each other and very far apart from their extended family, but they aren't even living together as a family themselves and it has got to change. Mona asks the Browns how they feel after their last meeting with the loan officer and Janelle says they are discouraged. Cody points out it was good news, but not the right good news. Janelle was shocked they could even get any type of financing at all. Cody said Tanya said they were qualified, that they can do this, and Cody thought hallelujah. And then it was, it'll be your first and second child and then your right leg. And Cody thought that won't work, they can't afford that. Mary doesn't see any way at all that the family could come up with the 40% down payment. Mona wants the Browns to keep in mind that they were rushing this before. They were looking at unconventional financing because they needed those two homes that were already completed before they were snapped up so they could have the four lots next to each other. So now one of those homes has sold, so now they are looking at the cul-de-sac on the other end of the street. There are four vacant lots, and the good thing about that is it allows more time for the Browns to work on their credit scores so they can get more traditional financing so it would maybe be 5 to 10% down versus 40% down, and it's huge. Janelle keeps saying wow on repeat. Wow, wow. Cody says the struggle they had with Tanya's initial offer is they didn't feel it was financially responsible for them, and Mona wants to show them an option with traditional financing. Mona assures the Browns she wants to pursue their dream but there are no alternatives to this other four empty lots, this cul-de-sac. She says they have looked everywhere. Robin feels Mona is giving them a second chance at hoping. Janelle feels Mona gave them a glimmer of hope, but she is hesitant as to whether they should believe it or not. Christine says the ship has almost sailed for her. Her hopes were already so high to be dashed so low. She thinks it would just take an absolute miracle for them to get into the homes at this point. 
Now, as we know, the Browns get their miracle, wet bar and all. And sometimes I contemplate, had the family stayed in Vegas, would they have lasted? Would they still have fallen apart during the Rona? They had their cul-de-sac in Vegas. And I really don't have the answer. There isn't what could be. There is only what is. There is only the present. And if you don't appreciate every blessing the universe gives you, if you don't grasp every moment with gratitude, if you assume the grass is always greener someplace else in some other corner of the world, you might realize you long for what was and what could have been. You might appreciate the blessing when it has already passed you by and no longer is. So appreciate everything in the moment before it passes you by. That does it for this episode. I'll be back next week with the next episode of my Sister Wives Rewatch, Sister Wives Season 4, Episode 8, No Place Like Home. To my YouTube listeners, don't forget to like, subscribe, and let me know your thoughts in the comments section if you like. To my podcast listeners, don't forget to follow this podcast and rate it with all the stars wherever you listen. I would really appreciate that. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.